begin a series that I've entitled Pictures of the Holy Spirit. And uh, I, I've, there's many passages that I could have picked as a text verse that would go along with pictures of the Holy Spirit. But I've chosen 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, where Paul writes these words to the Corinthians. He says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. Now, as I read this, you can either call this this temple of the Holy Spirit, your physical body. You can come before the Lord and say, offer it to you, Lord. You live within me and I want to glorify myself. Or you can call it the temple, the church. And I believe whatever you both are correct. The temple, this facility, this body that we call the church as we gather together. It's more than a church. It's not an address. It's people. And as we gather together, he says the Holy Spirit is in you. So he's in the body. He's in individuals. And we want to glorify the Lord through us. And we want to be conscious of the Holy Spirit. And so we want to try and uh, understand more about him. Lord, I, I pray for these next few moments together, I pray for clarity. I pray for a deeper understanding of this person, of the Holy Spirit. I pray, God, we would never be the same. I pray there'd be transformation. I pray, God, for the study that will be, begin tonight on the Holy Spirit and, and other studies that I've noticed have started based upon the Holy Spirit. God, you want to do something, I believe. And we want to be open to receive and to be all that you want us to be. In your name we ask it. Amen. You may be seated. Visuals are very, very powerful. Visuals are also very, very captivating. Whenever I go online to view something, often an advertisement will pop up at the bottom and it'll begin to play and I've got to go through 15 seconds or 30 seconds and it captivates me and I'm really, I've gone online to watch something else, but this has come up. It's an advertisement. They're smart. They know that it'll grab us. And they know that we're going to watch it. At the Grammys, people notice what people were wearing. And they often say after the Grammys, the next day, whatever it was born, and people like that, they go to the stores and they buy them. They become hot clothing items, especially what Lady Gaga was wearing. I'm not quite sure what it was, but it resembles something like a fishing net. And so I, I presume that sports stores were selling fishing nets. I don't know. My home page at home is sabbatical. And whenever I see it, recently I saw a picture of a talking dog, caught my attention. I click, I want to hear this talking dog. Or, or maybe it may say, here's the 10 coolest cars of all time. Well, you know I've got to go there. I've got to check it out. Visuals are powerful. Visuals are very captivating. Pictures grab us. But not only do pictures grab us, but they have a way of bringing a better understanding. Now, I have this little model. I don't know for how many years I've had it in my office. I had it for many, many years in Thompson in my office. And when I packed up my belongings and moved here, this came with me, went up upon my shelf. And I, I gaze at it every day. Someday I put the hoods up or the, root, the front up. And some days I open the doors and 
And I look at this and look at this, and I've seen this for so long that I said, well, Gary, you just have to now go out and buy one. This picture has grabbed you. You have to go. So I did. I bought one. And this little item could have been in the scrap heap. It could have been formed into a little cube, melted down and come back as a different car, maybe a Cadillac. But I salvaged this little car, rescued it and repaired it and fixed it. This little model is a turbocharged. It's not just your regular Volkswagen Beetle. It's a turbocharged. And also this little Volkswagen I discovered after I bought it, only 2,000 of them were ever made. And if you wanted to buy this little car in the year 2000, you could, you could not go to a dealership and buy it. You had to buy it online. Special little car. It's baby blue. And it's got a little holder in the dash made for a little daisy. And I'm going to put a little daisy in that one of these days and drive it. Baby blue. They say it's a lady's car, but I'm going to make it a man's car. <laughs> and also, this little car... My manual says at speeds of, which I never will know, but at speeds of over 98 miles per hour, not kilometers, miles per hour, a little spoiler will come up out of the roof. And I remember reading that in the mag, in this little uh, book of mine. So I ran out to the garage. I wonder if mine's got that. I found the button under the dash, pressed it, and up came this little scoop. You talk about neat. It's to keep the back end of the car on the highway at high speed. Well, now you know a lot about that little car. So now when you see me driving down the street someday in that little car, you'll know the history. You'll have a better understanding. You'll know that I put many, many hours of work into it. You'll know that it's turbocharged. You know there's a little scoop in there, a spoiler, that'll pop up when I'm going 98 miles an hour. And so you know, it brings a greater understanding. You see the picture. You heard the story. You understand more. Visuals, again, let me say, are very powerful. They're captivating. They bring greater understanding. Now, let me shift to the emphasis of this next series. Many don't understand the work of the Holy Spirit. In their lives and in their church today, the Holy Spirit is probably the most misunderstood person of the Trinity. God, we understand. God of the Old Testament. We understand that part. Jesus of the New Testament, Jesus of salvation. We understand that, but Holy Spirit, most misunderstood person of the Trinity. And then if you say Holy Ghost, you lose even more people. Then people start thinking spooky spirit. That's nothing to do with spooky spirit. But Holy Ghost is found in the Bible. Holy Spirit is found in the Bible. The Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity. And we need to understand more about this person. He is working in our lives. In Acts chapter 19, as Paul is on his, one of his missionary tours, he, he ends up at a place called Ephesus and he finds some followers of Jesus, brand new believers. And he begins to talk to them. And when he raises the, the name Holy Spirit, here's what they said. We have not so much as heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Now, these are new believers. These are followers of Christ, but they have not so much as heard about the Holy Spirit. So... The Bible says that what Paul did, he set up camp there. And for the next three months, he taught in the synagogue. I know that he taught on the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine? Of course he did. They don't know much about the Holy Spirit. I'm going to teach them about who he is, about his power, and about what he wants to do in their lives and what he wants to do in their churches. I mentioned last Sunday that 
One of our distinctives as a Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada Church in our denomination is our emphasis upon the altar. I grew up with that, an emphasis upon the altar. And I, I share with you two messages on the altar. Another distinctive that I grew up with was our emphasis upon the Holy Spirit. The person of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit. And we're a Holy Spirit movement. We've heard it said over and over again. You have heard it. I have heard it over the years. We are a Holy Spirit movement. And as the years clock on, as the years go on, we need to continue to be a Holy Spirit movement and not neglect that part of the Trinity that wants to flow in our church and flow in our lives and move in our lives afresh each and every day. We've got to understand more about who he is and what he wants to do. But so you think, OK, this morning we're going to head right into Acts chapter two. No, we're not. That would be expected. That's why I'm not going to go there until I get there when I'm ready. But I'm going to back up now. And we would think that, well, this is where the Holy Spirit first starts. If I go back to Genesis chapter one and verse two, I read that he was hovering over the waters when the earth was still formless and empty. He's been there. He didn't just show up. In Acts chapter 2, when a group got together in some high upper room and began to pray and seek God, that's not when he came down. He always was involved and moving in people's lives. So for the next, I don't know how many Sundays, long as it takes, I want to help bring a greater understanding of the Holy Spirit through the presentation of pictures. Some of these pictures I'm going to try to visually show you. Other of these pictures you're going to mentally see as I talk about them. As I said, I'm not going to begin in the New Testament. I'm going to begin in the Old Testament. We'll look at four pictures and trying to explain the work of the Spirit. And this morning, I'm really just touching on it. The Holy Spirit as oil. That's one picture. Secondly, the Holy Spirit as fire. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit as a dove. And fourthly, the Holy Spirit as a mighty wind. You may not see the wind, but you see the effects of wind. So this morning, we want to touch on oil as one of the symbols of the work of the Holy Spirit. And as I mentioned to you, I'm just going to briefly touch on this. And next Sunday, I want to continue talking about oil as a picture of the Holy Spirit. Zechariah chapter 4, verses 1 to 10. My scripture says this, Then the angel who talked with me returned and wakened me as a man is wakened from his sleep. He asked me, what do you see? Picture. Okay? Get that in your mind. I answered, I see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl at the top and seven lights on it with seven channels to the lights. Also, there are two olive trees by it, one on the, the right of the bowl and the other on its left. I asked the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? He answered, do you not know what these are? No, my Lord, I replied. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. What are you, almighty mountain before Zerubbabel? You will become level ground. Then he'll bring out the capstone to shouts of bless it. God bless it. God bless it. Then the word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands will also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Who despises the day of small beginnings? 
Men will rejoice when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. So immediately we see here a picture. The picture of a lampstand. And notice what Zechariah says in chapter 4 and verse 2. He says, I see clarity is going to come to Zechariah. Now, let me give you a bit of background to this particular scripture. Zechariah was known as the prophet of restoration and the prophet of glory. Prophet of restoration and glory. You might be interested to know today that Berkiah was his father and Ido was his grandfather. If you put the meaning of these three names together, you have the meaning of the whole book of Zechariah. Zechariah means Jehovah remembers. Berkiah means Jehovah blesses. And Ido means the appointed time. It's amazing. These are just not three names, but bring them together. And it's amazing how you see the whole picture of Zechariah comes together. Three names. Important. The book of Zechariah could be divided up into five messages that this prophet delivered to Israel as directed by the Lord. And these messages were delivered during a very difficult and very discouraging time for God's people. We understand discouraging times. We understand discouraging moments because we've all been there. This was one of those moments for God's people. If you go back in time, you realize there were days when when they were blowing the trumpets in victory, when the walls of Jericho came down. They're worshiping, they're crying out, bless God, bless God. They're shaking hands, they're embracing, they're dancing, they're singing, trumpets are going. They're happy. They're not happy days. You can imagine as they crossed the Jordan and got to the other side, they began to break out in praise, break out in worship. These are great days, dancing and dancing and celebrating. And, and when Goliath fell down, the dancing and the celebration, he's defeated, the enemy's defeated. No more taunting. And then the battle after battle they won. There were many, many victorious moments in the history of God's people when they could barely keep their feet on the ground because they're so exhilarated. This was not one of those moments. These days for God's people were very, very defeating days. They were down. They were depressed. They were dragging their heels. They're dragging their feet. Kind of reminds me of when I took my dog for a walk last Monday night. I took her for a walk. She's eight years of age. She's eight times seven. She's 56 years of age. One year older than me. And I'm dragging her, come on, come on. She's dragging her feet. Come on. I don't know what the problem is. Maybe it's all that spaghetti and meat sauce I gave her an hour before. I, I don't know. But she had a rough bout, a rough evening. And I'm dragging, trying to get her to walk with me. Usually she's way ahead of me. Must be slowing down in life. Well, Israel was having it rough. These were difficult days. And if ever there was a time when, when they needed a word from the Lord, this was the time. This was the moment. And I love the timely words of God. God always seems to know when to give us the word. It may be the midnight hour. It might be the last second. But God's timing is always perfect timing. He has a word for us. He had a timely word from Moses when he ran to the, in fear to the backside of the desert at the right moment, at the opportune time, God had a word for Moses. He had a timely word for Joshua when he wondered, how am I going to get across the Jordan? How am I going to surf across all this water? God, what am I going to do? And God gave him a word. 
He had a timely word for Elijah when he was so depressed he just wanted to die. Give me a tree somewhere where I can prop myself up against the trunk and I just let me breathe my last breath. Just let me die. So depressed, so discouraged. God had a word for Elijah just at the right proper moment. He said, go back the way you began. Go back to where you started. Remember the good days. Remember what I did in your life. Timely word for Elijah. And God also had a timely word for Job as when he suffered with physical afflictions. A timely word for Paul as he found himself locked up in jail. Acts chapter 16 and other times as well. God had a word for Paul. God also had a word for John as he was excommunicated and sent off to prison on the island of Patmos for preaching the gospel, for sharing the good news of Jesus. He's locked up. But what does the Bible say about John? He says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. I may have been in jail, but God has a word for me. I heard, he says, and I seen. Oh, I so much enjoy the fact that I can share with you today that God always has a timely word. And your timely word could be this morning. Your timely word could be right now where God is saying, I know where you're at. I know what you're faced with. I know what you're going through. And my word is clear. My word is concise. My word is powerful. My word is simple. Get it. He has a word for you. He'll always have a word for you. Thank the Lord for his still small voice that we listen carefully for in silence. But thank God for his booming voice that many times it comes across and we can't ignore it. That was a booming voice that Paul heard on the road to Damascus. I thank the Lord for his written word, his word to us as we read it. It may be just a regular devotional day, so we think, but as we read this passage, we understand it's connecting to us, it's connecting to our needs, and God is saying, this is my word for you right now. And I thank the Lord for the church. When we gather together week after week and in Bible studies and small groups, God has a word for you. It's a great place to get a word from God. As we gather together as a body. But there's a key phrase worth noting in Zechariah. The key phrase is this, I am very jealous. Chapter 1, verse 14, it's there. And chapter 8 and verse 2, I am very jealous. I'm very jealous for you. I want you. I want all of you. God is not good with sharing his loyalties. God is not good with a divided love. God is not good with or okay with partial commitments. God is not okay with wishy-washy, half-baked salvations. God is not good with fluff words with no actions. That, that doesn't impress God. He doesn't like it. He wants all of you. He wants every part of you. He wants your wallet. The heart of the most painful nerve in a man's body, they said. To surrender is that. But God says, I want all of you. I just don't want your heart. I want your money. I want everything. Lay it on the altar. Give it to me. Watch what I'll do with it. He'll bless you in return. I must have all of you. The question is, does God have all of you? As I was preparing 
last week, I, I began to think about the history of Israel. And I mentioned earlier, they had good days, they had bad days. They've passed on, they've died. If we could just get that group back together, there'd be an enormous group, we know that, but if we could have some representatives that would be prepared to come out the door here and come across this altar and stand here and address you, I wonder what they would say to you. They've lived, they've seen some good days, they've experienced bad days, they've passed on, but if they could come back, you know what they'd say to you? I know what they'd say. They'd say life was so much better when we just simply obeyed God. Oh, you know they'd say that. They'd say life was so much easier when we, we served God with everything and didn't try to hold back. Life was so much easier when we, when we didn't give in and fall into temptation. It was so much better. And we were so much more blessed when we served God with everything that was in, within us. When we found ourselves hiding ourselves in the protection of God's hands and chose to be there and wanted to be there and, and obeyed His commandments and loved Him and sought Him and called upon His name. Life was so much better. That's what they'd say to us. They would say, been there, done that, wore the t-shirt. And I want to tell you, they would say, serve God, serve God. Don't divide your loyalties. Be obedient, obey his word, obey his voice, obey him with everything that's within you because we've been there, we know what we shouldn't have done and we know what we should have done. Why does it take so long for us to learn the, those hard lessons in life? Part of the human nature. And I want to do my best to learn from past experiences. Fumbles. Fumbles I've made. Trip-ups that were caused by me. I want to learn from those and, and be able to share. Say, don't do those things. But the best life there is to live is to be 100% in the palms of his hands. And not to be hanging over the edge. It doesn't work that way. Oh, John chapter 10 speaks about a shepherd and his sheep. Verse 27 says this. Jesus says this in verse 27. I know them. I know them. And here's what he's saying in verse 28. I have them. May he say that about you and I. I know them. I know the church. I know the pew where they sit. I know exactly where they work. I know their name. I know their address. I know them. But secondly, I also have them. I have them. He longs to say that about you and I. So God's word at this time really was for right positioning. It's time, God was saying, if this is the appointed time, it's a, a meaningful moment because I want you to get in right position because God says, I want to bless you, I want to use you, but until I can use you, I've got to get you in position. So Zechariah's first message is recorded in chapter 1, verses 1 to 6, and the call here is a call for repentance. And he was saying, it's time to turn around. It's time to acknowledge me. It's time to turn from your sin. It's time to call upon my name. It's time for full surrender. That was his first message, chapter 1, verses 1 to 6. Zechariah's second message is recorded in chapter 1, verse 7 
to chapter 6 and verse 15. In this second message, the prophet receives eight picturesque visions. They're all given one night. The scripture we read is just one of those eight night visions. And actually, it's the fifth one. The gold lampstand and the two olive trees. And we want to try to recapture the meaning of this vision this morning. So here we read that Zechariah is fast asleep. And he went to sleep like, oh, like it was any other normal night. Like we did last night. We went to sleep at a certain time. We were expected just to have a good night's rest. Get up in the morning, come to church, be a normal day. Zechariah might have thought the same thing. I'll just go to sleep. But it was not a normal night. An angel not only appears to him, but this angel shakes him and wakes him up. Open your eyes. I'm sure he was startled like we do when we're waking up in, a, in just a second. And we don't know where we're at. We're delirious. But the angel shook him and said, I want you to get the picture. Open your eyes. Tell me what you see. And so Zechariah says, I see a solid gold lampstand holding seven lamps. And at the top, I see a bowl or a reservoir. The bowl was filled with oil. And the oil in the bowl came from olive branches, from olive trees. We know come olive berries and from olive berries come olive oil. And from this bowl, oil flowed through those channels and they fed the lamps. Oh, that oil was the agent. The oil was the source. It was the igniter. It was the flammable fluid. It was the combustible gas, so to speak. And as fast as the oil was used, the more oil would flow in. And if you were to cut off the flow of that oil, you would snatch out and cut off the flame. Now, at this point, Zechariah didn't really have a clue at what that meant. So the angel said, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Now enters Zerubbabel into our picture. And if we backtrack a little bit in the history books of Zerubbabel, we know that his ministry was to give leadership to the rebuilding of the temple when the Jews were released from captivity and allowed to go back to their homeland, he gave leadership to the rebuilding of the temple. So the temple foundation, it was laid. But soon after, there was opposition arose from their adversaries. Soon after, when this opposition arose, the work ceased. And some say that this work ceased and it took... It hung in limbo for 16 long years. Can you imagine? 16 long years seeing a foundation laid. But where's the rest of the building? Where's the rest of the temple? Where's the rest of the church? 16 years. God's people are depressed. God's people are deflated. They're feeling like they're defeated. And God knew exactly what he was doing as he's preparing his people and shaping and molding them. And God had a word at the end of that term to the prophet Zechariah. And he said, what has begun will be completed. Can you imagine getting that good news at the end of a drought-stricken term? What has begun is going to be completed. And he said, what some have said is impossible will be possible. What the enemy has meant for evil will be turned around and be used for good. And this always seems to be the word of God to the obedient. 
Whenever we're obedient, God always says that to us. And this is hope for those that may have tripped and fallen and fallen in some potholes. And maybe you're here and you're in a pothole this morning and you want to get out. God says, I can get you out. And God says what the enemy wanted to use for destruction to ruin you, I can actually turn it around and turn it around to bring good out of it. That's why we have so many powerful testimonies that are shared across pulpits across our country. People that have fallen, people that have failed, people that have tripped. And they said, but I got a hold of God one day. I became obedient to his word. I turned my life around. I surrendered. And now God put his hand upon my life. And I go from church to church to church, sharing that Jesus Christ can take the bad and turn it around and bring good out of it. He can do it with any life. He's done it with mine. He's done it with yours. God always has a great word for the obedient. Always. Well, the enemy would like to say, well, shut you down. God says, I'll turn it around and bring good out of it. I love what Zechariah 4 and verse 7 says. It says this, what are you, almighty mountain? You'll become level ground. What are you, almighty mountain? You'll become level ground. The higher the mountain, the bigger the miracle. No mountain is able to stand between you and God's miracle that he has for you. So don't be looking at your mountain. Don't be looking at your problem and say, it's so big. How can I get over it? But realize that God can do the impossible and God can level the ground. The bigger the mountain, the bigger the miracle. The greater God can used you. Maybe some of you are here this morning is, uh, I need that word. I need to hear that even though my mountains are big, my God is bigger. My God can knock those mountains down. Oh, it's not over yet. The angel has more good news to share. In verse 10, he says, men are going to rejoice. Men are going to rejoice. When they see Zerubbabel walking about with a plumb line in his hand. Now, remember, 16 years of seeing nothing but a foundation. Suddenly, he starts walking by and he's got something in his hand. What is that? What is that? And he said, I, I believe it's a plumb line. Someone would say to somebody else, what is a plumb line? Oh, a plumb line is used for construction. A plumb line is used for a building. A plumb line means there's work in progress. See, a plumb line is used to make sure the walls are straight. And whenever that point, you know this is straight. And so can you imagine after all those years, suddenly the rubble is walking about the plumb line. It gets people all excited. <sighs> building is going to happen. The temple is going to be finished. We're encouraged and we're starting to give a spark of life. Sign of progress. And the angel still has more to say. In fact, it's not only are they going to see Zerubbabel walking through the land or walking around with a plumb line, but Zerubbabel will carry out and put into place the final piece of the temple, which is the capstone. Now, when I think of capstone... Immediately comes to my mind is when you're building a house. We, we can equate that with houses very easily. 
the last thing you do on a house for exterior-wise, I mean, to a certain stage, is when you get the roof on, you put the shingles on this side, shingles this side, and then you got the shingles coming up here. Then you put the cap on. The cap shingle. That's the finishing touches to the roof. In other words, the outside then is mostly done. They've got interior work, but the structure's up. That's the capstone. You put the last shingle nail in. You stand back and say, the roof is done. It's complete. And so God was saying, Zerubbabel, he's going to be the man that's going to put the capstone in place. And then he said, accompanying that, there's going to be the loudest shouts of praise to God in the land that you ever heard. And the voices are going to be saying this, God bless it, God bless it, God bless it. They're going to be shouting it out. Suddenly, there's resurrection taking place in their minds. For defeat and for despair and for dismay comes new life. Bless it, and it happened. We can't miss the most important part out of all this. And this really brings clarity to the picture. Zechariah 4 and verse 6. Make sure Zerubbabel knows and understands this will not be by might, nor by power, nor by my, but by my spirit, says the Lord God Almighty. Bring it to our day and age. Horsepower, manpower, gadget power, blackberry power, Internet power, computer power is nothing power in the face of Holy Spirit power. Nothing. Never will be. Man cannot generate enough power that can ever compare to the Holy Spirit power that wants to flow through you and I. And here's what the angel does here. He connects the dots. Oil and spirit. One explains the other. One gives us a picture of the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and in our church. And just as the oil is the igniter, just as the oil is the source and the lubricant and the, and the pumped-in flammable fluid that causes an explosion, so is the Holy Spirit in your church and in your heart and in your life. Whether you're building a church, or whether you're building your family, whether you're building your life, you and I are helpless unless we have the flowing of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Next Sunday, I want to continue with what does that actually mean when you have the flowing of this oil, representative of the Holy Spirit flowing out to the candles. What does it mean? I'll touch on more of that next week, but I just wanted to give you a starting point today of this picture of oil being the Holy Spirit. Stand with me. I thank you, Lord, for this adventure that we're about to go on. And, Lord, I haven't really determined how many messages I will be delivering because I really don't know. But, God, I pray for such a great understanding of the Holy Spirit in our midst when He flows through when He flows through and gives the words, when He flows through and touches people's lives, I pray, God, that we'd understand it more and more and more. This is so, we'd say, this is common ground. 
for the Holy Spirit to flow like he's moving right now. There's always so much more that we can learn. I'm, I'm just a baby in learning about the Holy Spirit and how he moves. I'm still learning. I want to discover more. I want to be able to declare more of what you're showing me. God, we as a church, we want to open up our lives, open up the doors of our church, not just welcome people into church, but welcome the Holy Spirit in our church. That he'd come in and do what man could never possibly even try to accomplish. His power is greater. Oh, he can do it. He can do it. you're here and you need someone to lift up your need with you and join in prayer with you for a particular need you just feel free to come as we sing a concluding song prayer teams will immediately come and pray for you prayer teams you can come right now ready to receive people and then I'll close in prayer but if you anything at all you say I just need some ministry don't worry about what anybody thinks no one's going to think anything anyways we just are happy to see people respond we just want to pray for you lift up your knees for the Lord and then I'll close in prayer